This is a Rooster Teeth production. In 1968, four employees of a Japanese bank were robbed of an absurd amount of money. Despite an extensive investigation that examined over 100,000 suspects, the perpetrator was never caught. Today we discuss the puzzling case of the 300 million yen robbery. This is Red Web. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Trevor Collins. With me, as always, as we dive into these weekly mysteries, Alfredo Diaz. Dude, we got a heist on our hands. I got questions. You got questions? Yes. Dive in. Okay. Three million yen converted to American dollars. How much is that? Just shy of two and a half million. In 1968? In, In 1968. Shy of two and a half million. Yes, sir. That's so much more money with inflation today. It is, especially in the last year. Shout out to 7%. <laughs> yeah, damn. Yeah, because two, oh my goodness. 968, mm-hmm. count for inflation for what? Is Nick, that run, like, or, like not Nick. 40. <laughs> Christian, run that in the calculator. We all look the same. I get Let's it. plug that. That's like, absolutely not true. <laughs> 100% in every way, shape, and form. Different. Uh, adjusted for inflation is just over $20 million. Oh! I told you. I knew it. I was like, that's massively more. 20? Wow. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. Well, the, all okay. this tells me now is, uh, you know, whatever cash you've managed to hoard, whether it be a hundred bucks or, you know, a million dollars, just like, just sit on it. Just well, no, okay, maybe invest it <laughs> yeah, in some yeah. sort of anti-inflationary way. Yep. And then wake up and 40 years from now and be it. like, woo, I, I did it. I got money to spend in 50 lifetimes. Okay, so that, I need to know that information. Yes. That's a lot of money. And then second, that's... All cash. I'm just gonna double make sure. Oh yeah, that's right. cash. It's cash, right? Yeah, I'll walk okay. you through it all. How it came to be that way, right? Like, that's a because lot of cash. My, my big thing is how the hell do you have that much time to move that much cash? Oh baby, these that's are good a questions. Lot of money. It's gonna it's gonna be the weirdest answer to right. Even if you have okay, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm gonna put myself on blast here. Is there a bigger okay. dollar than a hundred dollar? There used to be. There used to be, right? I don't think so anymore. Because I thought I saw one, and then I don't think I've ever seen one ever again. So there there are, if you go way, way back, and I don't know much about the reasoning, this is mostly so banks could transfer wealth, because like when it was a gold-backed dollar, a dollar would just point to the idea that like, there's gold yep. somewhere that you are owed. Yep. And so when banks would transfer before electricity and before everything was electronic and whatnot, they would have million-dollar dollars. Uh, they would have hundred thousand. They would have thousand. They would have all these denominations, mostly for major money moves. Right. I don't think any of those are legal tender anymore, but you can still see them like framed up somewhere. But it's nowadays, cool. I think it's just hundred dollars is the top. Okay, just checking. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's only a hundred dollar bill. I, I think um, during that time, were there? And now I'm just spiraling during the into 60s? questions during. During this, uh, yeah, was well, 1968, where they're like... Are you talking about like the in Japan, the largest denomination? Oh, yeah, yeah. What is the largest bill that they had? I'm, Turns yeah, out I'm it was so $300 curious. million. Dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? It's just, one, it's just a heist and it's a one, one bill. really <laughs> thick bill. <laughs> Why has it got to be thick? <laughs> well, it's got to... It's just like, the, you know, we got the fancy credit cards. It that doesn't are like fit in thicker, my wallet. Where it's like, oh, it's thicker because, you know, you have you could borrow so much money. It's... 
I don't it's know if just, that tracks. The nickel is one of the smallest coins, and it is the thickest. That's true, but I'm just going off the credit card. Sometimes philosophy. it's not about the the size of the dollar that matters, right. but it's how you use but it. But if I had like a three, was it three million dollar three three hundred million three hundred million yen bill? Uh-huh. Come on, that's got to be fancy in some way, right? It's got uh, cursive handwriting on it. <laughs> <laughs> that does make it fancy. Looks like at the time of the robbery, the highest yen bill was a $10,000 or 10,000 yen bill. Which would be more or less $100 Yeah, in USD. Yeah. Sorry, everyone else in the world. I don't have that conversion (laughs) off the top of my head. Um, Okay, that being said, that's a lot mm -hmm. of money to move. Yes. You would need, well, okay. You're, uh, you're we'll, gonna, yeah, I we'll can find see out you, a ton of stuff. Cause I in can my see head, your dude. brain cells moving <laughs> into an Ocean's Eleven sort of situation. Oh, we got like Italian job yeah. cutting holes in floors. You're going to be okay. floored by the way okay. this goes. All right, let's just get into All it right. because I'm just, okay, at least I got my that base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got so good bearings money. now. All right, so let's set the scene. It was the early morning hours of December 10th, 1968. Four employees of the Kokobunji branch in Nippon Trust Bank were transporting nearly 300 million yen via a company car. If you're interested, I'm going to give you the specifics. I don't know why it was this denomination, but it was actually an exact amount. 294,307,500 yen. So like I said, this was uh, just shy of 2.5 million USD at that time. The money was in metal boxes and was being taken to the Toshiba factory in Fuchu, Tokyo to be given as bonuses to the factory's employees. Now, on the way to the factory, the bank employees were actually pulled over by a motorcycle police officer uh, next to the Fuchu prison, less than 700 feet short of their final destination. They were heading to the factory, going to give out these cash bonuses. I got to stop you here. Please do. This is all insane. Okay. (laughs) This is is wild. Walk me through it. And then my my brain is spiraling already. Uh It's uh Monday damn morning right now. (laughs) And my brain is going 100 miles an hour. First off, I got to go back to the whole, my other point. They interviewed 100,000 people. Oh, yeah. Oh, How, yeah. That tells me you're thorough. Also, you're lost. And <laughs> oh, we'll go, get into that, going too. 700 feet, you're right there at the finish line. Uh-huh. I feel like 700 feet. Officer, just let me finish this one out, okay? Just, like, take me down here. Yeah. I feel like you should be like, help! The factory security guards or whatever. Uh, another point. Uh-huh. Damn. You're taking it from factory workers that are getting bonuses. Yeah. Another point, okay, it's in a truck. That's more convenient, easier to rob, hard, like easier to move. Also, this sounds like, you know, maybe a car rolls up, neon lights underneath, blacked out, tinted windows, windows roll down, it's, t- it's Dominic Toretto <laughs> and Han. Yeah, and he just whispers something about family. It does, <laughs> and then takes the money. All right, proceed. This is this is great. I would before I get into the next few steps of what went down here, because you're you're definitely your gut instincts right on point as always. You're digging into some good thoughts that I'm going to expand upon. Oh, is the cop fake? Oh my god! But I uh, but I want to know how you would heist this vehicle 700 feet from its destination because I don't think the reality is going to be anywhere as complex is what your brain you're twitching around you're looking you're smiling i wouldn't i tell you that the much i wouldn't you just wouldn't do it i wouldn't all right, what I, about we almost got him Christian. I, 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 uh, oh off the record yeah man. we were no longer recording okay now is there like a, <laughs> okay i cut it i, I talked to 
uh, a chopper pilot, right? Dang, all right. That's like down straight and, to and, eleven. And, this right. like just like down and like oh, uh-huh. is that happening? Ocean's Eleven or something? Anyways, no, I'm saying like, you just took it from ten to eleven. Just this like one, you know. down, and you know, it's just things aren't going right. Maybe he's got some medical bills for like a wife's got to take care of, right? I cut him in and I say, hey, we got to get this money, and then I talk to. A magnet engineer. <laughs> yes. And, and, and then, what, what, and is the, we, what is that job title? Uh, magnetism. Mag, magtometrist. <laughs> yes. Magtometrist. Yep. And then mm-hmm. we 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 weld. All right, I gotta cut in a welder at this point. We weld. <laughs> He's building up his eleven. He's counting on his There's hands. A lot of money here. It's There's okay. A lot of pay you're you know to where they go through the money. heist intro and they say, "The welder, the magnetometrist." <laughs> The, the guy that flies the helicopter. <laughs> and then between them, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, we weld this kind of like wrecking magnet device mm-hmm. that we can like suck up the then yes. uh, truck full of money. It makes it so much easier. Right. You just- and, and then, okay, hire dirty cop, fake cop. That's where he comes in, pulls him over, gets him out of the vehicle, right? And then he plays up the whole, oh, my God, I never saw this coming. He gets a cut, too, as well. Whoa. And we got the dirty cop. These are some good, unique, anti-cliche titles and names we got for this heist. All right. Without further ado, I'll dive back into the reality here. So I I love that image. You got some elements correct. Maybe. (laughs) Oh, I need construction workers. Oh, I bet you do. I do. And a lot of wet concrete. Is what I'm guessing. Well, yeah, because they cut a hole in in the car, and then we're gonna the, leave that the, be a mystery. Into the ground. So when they take the chopper, oh, and the then sewer, they chase it, guy. we're in the sewers instead. Yeah, bang, plot twist. Dang. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, you you guys asked. I did. To be fair, I did. Now here's the thing. Okay, the bank employees were pulled over by this motorcycle cop. The police officer told them that the manager's house, the manager of this company had been blown up and that dynamite had been planted on their very car as well. What? Essentially saying that this was a coordinated attack. And they have reason to believe this, which for reasons I'll get more specific into later, but there was a letter essentially threatening this in days prior. Oh, the the long con. The long con of days prior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the short con. <laughs> Monday morning. So, Three days ago. <laughs> yeah, so they, they exited the car so that way the officer could investigate the vehicle for the bombs. Red flag immediately. Yeah. I mean, I've seen the SWAT called out for less. Right. And I know this is a different... He's not qualified for that. Exactly. I know this is a different country, but I would imagine whoever's scanning a car for bombs would want protective It's a bomb. Right. Right. I'm... I, I... Right. Different country. Safe to assume that they don't train their police to handle bombs. Right. So, this officer checks out the vehicle, then he climbs under the vehicle. While under there, the, the two workers are off to the side because they're terrified there's a bomb or whatever. Smokes and flames start coming out from under the car, so the employees immediately go, Oh my god, there is an explosion, we gotta get out of here. So they start legging it. They're running away. Rather than turning back to witness the car explode, because, hold on, pause, we got a trope here. Cool guys don't look at explosions. They're running away in slow motion at this point. Yeah. While that happens... Again, they're not looking back. By the time they do look back, the only thing they see is the police officer driving away with their car filled with 300 million yen. Oh my God! It was that easy. That easy. Holy hell. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it's quite simple. Very simple. Way more simple than everything you were talking about. (laughs) 
Whoa. That's how we know this man's innocent. <laughs> That's how we know he's going to. He's like, I don't know if I were to do it, I would, I would invent a new atomic element. Yeah. And then that element would be perfect. Like, all right, Tony Stark, you can, you can leave now. You're clear. But it sucked in the gravitational pull of the truck. Yeah. No, great. Oh, I knew the cop was in it. Oh, yeah. So he got away with the 300 million yen. Now, there had been, as I mentioned, in uh, days prior, threats that were made towards the bank's manager, which were what led the employees to essentially believe the cop's story or this air quotes cop's story. That's why they essentially gave him access. Now, on December 6th, the manager of the bank received a letter demanding 3 million yen from the bank's deposits and demanded that it be brought to a nearby location before 5 p.m. on that very next day. If the manager did not comply, his home and his workplace would subsequently be bombed. That's insane. Very. Now, when it comes to the letter, this seems like an obvious piece of evidence. Half of the letter was handwritten, so we might have a an authentic oh, handwriting here, yeah. while the other half consisted of letters cut out of magazines. Now, I don't know if this person ran out of zines, what? or if they just said this Look, is way too slow. This per- Okay, first off, this heist just seems like, mwah, chef's kiss. Brilliant, easily uh, executed, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And then there's this, half handwritten. Right. Everything else seems magazine. like planned. And then he's like, hey, listen, I can't be cutting out any more letters. Tell me there's more to this, because this is going to, like, it's going to annoy me. Well, there's definitely more to this, but what are you looking for? More to the, the letter. Why is it written like that? I don't know. We don't know. But <sighs> but it is entered as, as evidence. Now, my gut instinct immediately says, okay, well, if they're going to write something, they're going to change their handwriting so they can't be traced or can't be followed back to. Yeah, but why half and half? I don't, I've never heard of that before. Right. Why not just start over? Not be, well, like it's sunk cost fallacy, right? You know, like, oh, I spent three hours cutting out letters from magazines. Like, man, this sucks. You know what? I'm swapping it up. Doesn't matter. You're going for like. Well, I don't want to waste all these hours. I don't want to start the letter over. Million dollars. I will take the time to cut those magazines out. What if it was approaching 5 p.m.? Oh. His own deadline. He didn't plan it. He's like, wait a minute. This Hold letter on. says yesterday at 5 p.m. Uh-oh. <laughs> it, listen, it took me a long That's time to cut true. out these. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, just imagine it's as simple as, oh, I'm running out of time. I got to get this over there. Yeah. Well, either way, the manager called the police who sent around 50 other officers to stake out that drop-off point to see what was going down, if they could find any other pieces of evidence. Ultimately, that weekend concluded with no explosion. So... Now we have essentially a dud on our hands, which much like fireworks, if you launch one off and it just hits the ground but not exploding, now you're just like, well, what do I do? Do I approach to throw the thing away yeah. or do I stand back because it could pop any time? They have this vague threat now floating around. Right, them. and you just, you just never know. And that won't wear out like for some time. Right. And so The, the fact your, your house might be bombed. Also, question. Go ahead. Has there ever been a successful hey bring the money to this location and then the person actually grabs the money and leaves successfully has that ever happened before i'm sure there's lots of boring ones like that right there might just be boring ones where like they got on a helicopter and got away or something like that um, i mean db cooper he got his bunts and he flew into the night that's true but he wasn't like meet me here right yeah, he I mean, was like, he was like, just bring me money to the, bring money to the plane. Yeah, yeah. And he did it. He did. 
He did do it, kind of. Yeah, that that works. I feel like around. it's a good question because it's it it's right? so common. It it's, seems it seems like it is, and it's like, how do you get away with that? It's, yeah. Okay. Especially even around this time period when you can, there's serial numbers on money. You can trace these oh, yeah. things, right? Yeah. Like that's exactly what happened to DB Cooper. So, who's to say it wouldn't happen here? It it doesn't seem like well thought out. But then again, somebody who's trying to heist this level of money is probably not making the right decisions. Yeah. But coming back to the case, you know, the thief then drove off, and after driving off, he abandoned the bank's car in the woods of the Kokoboon Temple Ruins in Kokobunji. The police questioned surrounding residents who claimed that they saw a blue Toyota Corolla parked in the area nearby two days before the crime. Now, the police are like, okay, well, let's go find this blue Toyota Corolla. It's literally one of the only things we have to go off of at this point. And in searching around, they did in fact find a green Toyota Corolla, at a nearby high school, and they believe that this was actually the car that people were talking about. Maybe they didn't get a clear vision of it, but they're like, okay, we got this one. It's green. Let's run the plates. When they did that, they discovered that this vehicle was in fact stolen. So from this, the police began to believe that the thief was using a string of stolen vehicles, right? The uh, green Toyota Corolla, this motorcycle that we'll talk more about later, and then obviously the work vehicle with all the cash in it. Uh, in order to essentially confuse the investigation to stay hidden and to create too many points between their origin and their final destination. Yeah, it muddies the waters. Very it, much so. It, it's multiple stolen vehicles. That's so much more to track down. That's so much more, like, luck that needs to be involved with that. Also, are these suspects colorblind? <laughs> Listen, maybe. <laughs> we will find out more regarding these suspects, or these, uh, these... Witnesses. Oh, witnesses. Yes, it's suspects. <laughs> I said, so, yeah. Uh, you made everyone's me say suspect. A, I said, wait a Everyone's minute. <laughs> a suspect to the task force. I saw the whole thing. Get on the ground. Ah! <laughs> I swear it was it? blue. It was green. It was green. Did you die? But yeah, but with, with regard to these so-called witnesses, there will be another wrinkle that comes up. As much as they wanted to help, it seems that they might only be creating more confusion, and I'll get into that in a little bit later. But coming back to the crime scene now and talking more about the investigation that followed, police found nearly 120 pieces of evidence, including that supposed police motorcycle, which was, in fact, stolen and painted white prior to the robbery. And they also found a warning flare, which was probably what he used to create the smoke and fire that was underneath the uh, vehicle. Yeah. But among these 120 items, which is no small amount of pieces of evidence, they saw a stolen megaphone, there was a hunting cap, a can of cookies, some magnets. Oh! See, it was a part of the plan at some point. Uh-huh, uh-huh. A newspaper snippet, and then obviously many, many more things. This evidence consisted of a plethora of common everyday items scattered, what seems to be on purpose, again, in order to essentially confuse the authorities. So whoever did this clearly was, this was premeditated. This was all just around the area, I imagine. Just a lot of normal, everyday items scattered about the immediate area, almost as if this person knew that this is where they were going to try to stop this vehicle, knowing where their final destination was. It seems very premeditated, very well planned to obfuscate themselves of any clear path of evidence. This is so baffling to me because as of right now, I have no reason to believe that it's more than one person. And this individual is low-key a genius. Kind of, yeah. Especially with how simple they made this run. Right. When when you go, oh, what, what are you like? What's the one thing you're really good at? He's really good at stealing stuff, apparently. Because he's, he's stolen not just the, right? 
not just the money, like so many things. Multiple vehicles Co- along I, the way. Like a cop motorcycle alone, I'd go, oof, nope, never mind. Let's yep. just kill this idea. And then paint, like painted it too. Like, that's that's a good thing. Like I want to dig into that real quick, Christian. I think the, the implication with the motorcycle is that it was a pedestrian motorcycle that that's was stolen painted and it. painted to look mm. like a police He painted motorcycle. it white. That way yeah. it would add a fleeting glance would pass exactly. as a air quotes police motorcycle yeah, I don't think but it, it was wasn't an actual actually. police motorcycle got it yeah. that okay. makes sense okay that makes sense but but you're right i mean this person assuming it's all one person again mm-hmm. you and we'll talk about that in the theories later on but they stole multiple vehicles they managed to make the su- the witnesses believe that it was blue uh they painted one they had enough time to gather items that could be of multiple sources right because you wouldn't yeah. want to grab all your personal effects and scatter mm-hmm. those also, that way you could obscure the reality of what went down. You know what? The smart. You know how it was uh, maybe like a couple years ago, there's a picture of that dress going around on Twitter, and it was like, what color is this dress? Paint Whatever that. that color is, you paint the getaway vehicle that color. Oh, my God. And then that would be where just I don't really know. confused. It was a blue car with black stripes. <laughs> no, it was a white car with gold stripes. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling that you. is very different, sir. <laughs> <laughs> And what size dress was the car wearing? <laughs> um, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, but here's the thing: that if it's especially if it's like a pearlescent, you can have like a really bluish green or a greenish blue. Like it's it's possible, you know. As somebody with completely normal eyes, <laughs> I tell you this with confidence that it's possible that we all would look at this car and see blue or green. As, as we're playing video games, and he goes. Which one's gray? I'm the gray one. There's no gray. There's no gray. <laughs> now, with all of this said, at this point in the investigation, the only thing that the police knew for sure that the robber had was uh, type B blood. It's the only actual factual piece of information that they had. They got this. You're freaking out. Fredo's rolling back in his chair. <laughs> they figured this out by testing the saliva on the blackmail letter postage stamp, which to me is like... Ever since I was a kid, I never licked those things. I'd get my finger wet and then do that. Because I just like, I don't, I'm not trying to taste glue. <laughs> Fredo's still freaking out over this. Like, all these careful steps, Fredo, and he licks away. He might as well pee into the envelope. Dude, the, the man licking away. Gross. I don't, for some reason, this man is a genius. But when it comes to the letter specifically, he is the lowest IQ. <laughs> you know what? It, it, just with this letter. Just this letter. Let me ask a question. Do criminals have interns? <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, you got like henchmen, essentially. Yeah, oh my they God. You have like a henchman. This is the worst henchman of all time. He's like alley-oop and yeah, shoves the basketball up under the, the rim. wide open. But also, um, okay, so absolutely just is botching everything when it comes to this letter. Right. Um. You telling me that they got the blood type. That was the biggest swallow I've ever heard. It just, it, I'm just, I, bro, this, this mystery. <laughs> He's holding his temples. Is <laughs> on a whole nother level. Okay, so yeah. like, you could get your blood type from your saliva? Yeah, you got DNA in all your little liquids, your body fluids, and if, you know. You Didn't s- know that was a thing. If you just Blowing scratch, my into, mind the, right scratch now. into the air, you're going to have skin particles that float around and give you away. I mean. DNA is wild stuff. Damn. So, type B blood. That's all we got. That's what Nuts. So, in talking to the witnesses, now immediately another flag is raised when they get the car's color slightly wrong. The police created a <laughs> sketch of the suspect using the employees themselves. 
They recounted what they thought the police officer looked like. They said, this is what he looks like. It's a young man, these features, etc. So the police made that sketch. The investigation, in the end, by the way, cost three times as much as the amount of cash stolen. That's 900 million yen was the cost of this investigation, more or less. Thanks to the intensive campaign for public interviews from the college-aged residents in the area to hopefully identify the young robber. Essentially, that's where 110,000 people were considered suspects because the only thing they had to go off of was type B blood, and it's a young man, and so they just went to town interviewing people. And they were not getting anywhere closer, of course. Why? Why spend that much money? At what point do you just go... I mean, oh, you know what? Maybe it's like Vegas. You just, I just got to keep going. It's, I don't know, man. I don't know. That, I will say, this sounds like Pennywise pound stupid, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're very smart with like, like small costs, but when it comes to wide sweeping costs, you're just like, screw it. We got to get our yeah. guy. Now, I can't speak much to this. Christian, I know that you might know more about this, but I know from experience from friends who know more about the Japanese culture that the police have a very high conviction rate essentially that they either on paper or factually always get their person oh and so it could be what's motivating these high costs because they want to find the perpetrator and end it they don't want a repeat crime they don't want this yeah. to happen again or to spread because if they might be under the assumption that if this uh, person gets away with it, right. maybe they will inspire others, which then becomes a runaway effect. Mm -hmm. Like a Batman Joker type situation. Whoa. Yeah, Batman Begins. But coming back to those 110,000 suspects, one suspect stood out among the rest. They called this person Boy S. This was how the media referred to this person, to keep that anonymity. So, I'll also jump in real quick just to elaborate a little bit. Uh, it is reported that Japan's conviction rate, police conviction rate, is 99%. 99. What? Just to give you some more yeah, context, is what Trevor mm -hmm. was saying about why they're trying to get this person. And wait, like, what is the turnaround rate, if possible? Like, like days to close the case? No, or? just turn around in terms of like... If the convict any like wrong convictions, like that's oh, insanely think, high. See that that is a whole different topic. I don't want to get into because it is relatively problematic. Right. But, uh, it is coming to light more and more that there is a very low turnover rate. In fact, that there are people that are widely believed to have been wrongly incarcerated, and that is becoming a kind of oh, bigger and bigger problem. So okay. while the conviction rate is high, right, more and more people are starting to wonder the efficacy right. of those processes. I was about to say, what are they doing that we're not doing? They got like a minority report type situation going on. They could like see the future right. of crime before <laughs> it happens. Hey everybody, Christian the producer here and your guy in the chair. And I'll be the one jumping in this week just to help take care of some orders of business and sort out some housekeeping. First off, we want to thank you all as always from the bottom of our hearts for the support that you were showing Red Web leaving a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts, as well as leaving a comment on our video version on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash redwebpod or on the Rooster Teeth site. Anything and everything you do to show your support for the show allows us to try to grow and expand the show, and we're working on some very cool ideas that we're hoping we can see come to fruition, all because of your support. So thank you, thank you, thank you. But without further ado, let's have a word from our wonderful sponsors. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. If you're listening to Red Web, you probably enjoy stories of conspiracy theories, cults, and maybe even scams. Maybe you would also enjoy learning about some money laundering. You can get all that and more on The Jordan Harbinger Show. 
It covers a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with guests that offer an inside look at worlds most of us don't get to see. The Jordan Harbinger Show brings in experts who've been on the inside. Check out his episode on illicit gold smuggling and the dirty money funding it, or his recent episode on the language of fanaticism. The Jordan Harbinger Show also covers technology stories like deepfakes, telepathy, and preventing a superbug epidemic. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations, or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Red Web is also sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget things like doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways. And in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time, here is your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. Task Force members get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com redweb. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash redweb. This episode of Red Web is also sponsored by Raycon. However you choose to do something new this year, there's no better way to do it than with a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds. No matter how much you shake things up, Raycons are the best way to bring audio with you. Seriously, these things never fall out of your ears thanks to their optimized gel tips. Their everyday buds look, feel, and sound better than ever and now have an awareness mode for when you need to hear what's going on around you. Raycons also offer 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. I've heard nothing but good things from everyone I know who owns a pair of Raycons and I cannot wait to get a pair myself so I can finally, finally embrace the, the long battery and the beautiful sound. Right now, Task Force members can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com redweb. That's buyraycon.com slash redweb to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash redweb. Now, without further ado, let's dive back into this whirlwind crime caper known as the 300 million yen robbery. Enjoy. So the reason why Boy S stood out, couple factors. One, it's a young man. He's 19 years old. He's the son of a motorcycle cop. And he's also the leader of the Tachikawa Group Youth Gang who were infamous carjackers and joyriders. So that's three things that like kind of fall in line with the anecdotal evidence. Strong suspect. Also, that's a, man, that's a TNT drama all in itself. A (laughs) cop and the son is the leader of a youth gang? Come on. It feels, I hate to say it, because I think I've made this comparison before, but it feels like Death Note, where the person doing this stuff is smart, they're outthinking the police, and their father is also a police officer vouching for their innocence. Damn, it is. It's like note for note. It's no good. pun intended. It's pretty good. <laughs> Dang it. It's pretty good. So now, of course, the police are very interested in this person, and they took the four employees from the incident and brought them face to face with Boy S. And they, the employees, thought that he looks very, very similar to the perpetrator of this crime. Now, before the cops were able to act on this identification, Boy S, and I want to give a trigger warning here, actually committed suicide using potassium cyanide pills that very same night. 
So very, very briefly, the police brought this person to the employees, the, the ones who had their car stolen. They said, yes, he looks very reminiscent of the person that did this. And there, and like, and this is how the whole situation unfolded. The boy committed suicide that very night and uh, insert problems, right? It, yeah, I mean, it could have been because they were part of it and they felt the pressure or that, right? It, I mean, how stressful is it to be convicted of something like this? And if you, especially if you didn't do it. Right. Um, Can't imagine. How the hell did they get access to cyanide pills? So that's something I want to jump the gun on because there is a kind of throwaway statement in the theory section that I want to pull up. And, okay. I, and before I say it, I do want to make sure I run this by Christian first, but I'll run it through him through the episode. I believe it was found out, it was discovered that his father procured them for him. What? This is it, just such a simple mystery, but it's so good. It's spiraling. This might be one, like, I don't know, one of my favorites. It's, it's, it's probably so the most simple unsolved case we've discussed because yeah. it's it's deceptively simple. But that's the thing is when it's so, so clean and so surgical, clinical as it were, yeah. there's so little evidence to go off of, you immediately can spiral out of control. Because when you don't have a, a heading to go, if I yeah. were to put you in the woods and say, find me, you would just have to walk a certain direction. You yep. could walk right at me or you could walk the opposite way. That's what they're doing, I feel like, with this investigation. Where do they head, and how fast do they go? True. Well, if anything, they spent a lot of money. Yeah, according to everything we were reading, there are some sources that say his father bought the pills. As to why, or when, or anything beyond that, we don't really know, but it's believed that the father purchased them at some point. So I want to... Okay, so a big caveat on that, because we can't prove it. It's said a lot, but that's the thing about this case, is a lot of things are said a lot, and it's, it's also why we're discussing it. We're going to be as candid as possible, but... I mean, the one thing we do know is that he did have cyanide pills. Right. And he did take Either them. way, you yeah. are accurate in that that is what went down. The employees pointed at him, said, yes, that does right. remind us of what yeah. he looked like. And then that evening, Yeah, there wasn't any, like, I mean, over. this happens a lot, passed away due to possibly this. It was like, no, this... Unfortunately, right. this is what it was. Boy S passed away, right. took cyanide pills that night. So, Boy S's father insisted that his son was innocent and was no longer considered a suspect after the police concluded his handwriting and blood type did not match that of the perpetrator, which makes me wonder if you have the blood type, why wouldn't that, as the only secure, confident piece of evidence, why wouldn't you test that first? But to make this even more offensive, perhaps, after this conclusion, the bank employees then came forward to admit that they never really actually got a good look or oh, a good enough on. look at the perpetrator to confidently identify them as a suspect. So I'm was like, this is after he passed away. This was after. Oh come on! Not only after he passed away, but also after the police said, okay, well, given this other stuff going on, the blood type, etc., we don't think it was actually that person. And then they're like, oh well, now that you say that, you know what? I don't think you know we got a good enough look. And I'm like, problem. You kind of like whether you meant to or oh. not. You kind of started this little thing. Anyway, I mean, all the more reason to not accuse people, right? Willy nilly. I guess the saving grace there is just like you don't stain the name, right? Yeah. Y yeah. You don't have like your family members and generations going, oh well. That's true. You might have robbed or you know committed a crime. Right. These people could have just doubled down on their yeah. assumption here, right? And that also draws into question the the police sketch that they were able to procure from these employees right mm -hmm. 
But let's move forward one whole year now. On December 12th, 1969, a 26-year-old man was suspected by the Mayanichi Shimbun newspaper. He was arrested on an unrelated charge, but he also had an alibi for the crime that we're talking about. So the man was taking a proctored exam on December 10th, so he couldn't have possibly been there. Essentially yeah. an exam that had a professor or somebody exactly. overwatching. The police suspected this man due to a false report by the officer Mitsuo Muto. Muto arrested this man on an unrelated charge, like I mentioned, but interrogated him about the robbery, regardless of his alibi or anything else. Muto was later accused of abusing his power for these unjust legal actions. So either way, this person kind of got into the weeds and they're right, right back out again. Right out. Now, it's interesting to mention this person because almost seven full years later, another man was arrested in relation to this very robbery on November 15th, of 1975. He was the friend of the previously discussed 26-year-old suspect. This friend, at the time of the robbery, was 18 and was arrested on an unrelated charge. He had a large amount of money and was suspected of the robbery. When police questioned him about where he got so much money, he gave no explanation and was not able to be charged as the perpetrator because there was no evidence that proved whether or not the money that he had came from that robbery. Essentially, He's so loosely attached to this crime. Yeah. They almost seem to just be like, how about you? You were related to somebody else that was kind of related to this crime yeah. and you have money. So was it you? That's all they have going on. And the timing is very, very interesting. They're just spiraling, it seems like. Yeah. This is about 25 days shy of the seven year anniversary of this crime. Damn. No. I mean, how do you even track down anything at that point? Right. Also, this goes back to my whole case of like, I would be scared for the rest of my life. For the rest of my life. Well, let me let me fix that for you. Or you just go to a different country. Or you do that and hope you don't get extradited. Now, the thing is, and the reason why I mentioned seven years minus one month is because after a seven-year investigation, the statute of limitations for this very crime expired. Once again, in 1975, the thief would then be relieved of all civil liability for this crime in 1988, meaning that at any point after 1988, if they came forward, they couldn't be held criminally liable because of the statute of limitations. And so the police then hoped that maybe after 1988 that this person would come forward, that they would confess without fear of persecution or anything like that. But Wait, to this day, no one has confessed. Is that how that works? In Japan, at least, yes. I mean, statutes of limitations vary on country right, and does, crime. Yeah. But yeah, that's why I think the police were rushing to find somebody one month prior to the end and be like, uh, was it you? Was it you? Because in one month, we won't be able to do essentially anything. I didn't know it was, I mean, I I knew that it was forgiving. I didn't know it was that forgiving. It's, it seems quite forgiving. But that being said, like, what? I always, I'm sure there's I don't like, want to like say this guy did something, not, not something bad, but like, let's be real. I mean, yes, it is millions of dollars, but money is a contrived concept that yeah. humans make. And, yeah. and at the end of the day, the insurance company and Toshiba themselves are the ones hurting, not like the regular people. Because yeah. it is worth mentioning that the factory workers still got their bonuses. Oh, still nice. Still got their bonuses in cash because this was all resolved via insurance and what have you. So again, not saying that the crime was totally right. fine. But also, like I think it is worth, maybe this is a very heated conversation I'm stepping into, but it's worth balancing punishments versus heft of crime. You no, know what I mean? for, for, for sure. This is definitely like a, a lighter... Um, I would say it's a crime to be honest. I mean, because there, there is crime, right? There's, there's oh, yeah. crime and all that, but it, there's, there's 
petty crime, and there's 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 different weights to them. Right. And this one. Also, I, no I just want to say this. I'm glossing over a lot of nuance here too. Oh, I'm there's not a, there's to, a I'm not trying to make any broad sweeping no, no, uh, no. claims here. There's there's a ton of stuff, but with this specific one, like if I was in this situation, maybe I would step forward just because was it like I took a life or anything anything like you know no one was injured or hurt it was more so just between myself and a couple people to mm -hmm. be honest um that's nuts though yeah i mean there's also the idea that like and this is just me speaking now like now i don't know the difference between the statute of limitations on the crime in 1975 making it 7 years versus the civil liability for the crime going all the way to 88 obviously a much more hefty like what is that 19 year or 20 year yeah. tenure i'm sure some way legally they'll get you though yeah but also like part of me as a person would be interested in coming forward to almost just say like hey yeah i recognize this was terrible and i recognize that people were impacted whether i meant to or not in various ways but i'll come forward and i'll say this is this so that way we can at least Figure out how you can figure out it was me, right? Like I, all that is to say is like, how can we improve the criminal investigation process? From but that's also me. I wouldn't do this crime in the first place. Right, exactly. But like, it almost feels like uh, what is that? The blacklist, right? right? Where the guy turns himself in and he's like, let me help you find all right. the top criminals. All right. So how can we learn from this? Right. Because otherwise, like, it's insane. I I don't know. Maybe that's just also what I want out of this. I want the person that knew they got away with it to come forward and be like, this is how I did it. And hopefully yeah. that would prevent future crimes of that nature, right? But anyway, at the end of all of this, and this is truly the reason why we wanted to talk about this, very deceptively simple, but so intriguing. Roughly 170,000 police officers tried to solve this case over the years, and that made this the largest investigation in Japanese history. But again, no luck, no dice, no one was ever, no one ever came forward, and no one was ever found guilty of committing this crime. So largest unsolved case in Japanese history. This is, and this is the first time I'll say I said this. I believe this is a smooth crime. Mm -hmm. Like it was cleanly done. Holy, I mean, damn letter. But still, I know that's it's so weird. It's, it's that's so why I weird. love that you keep pointing it out because everything else seems so well meditated, right? Yeah. From like Perfectly putting people planned. on edge, making people afraid, scattering the area with all sorts of evidence yeah. to obscure the true stuff and then the letter that they just kind of phoned in at the last minute right weird also it seems like the person that pulled this off was like younger than 30 seemed like you know maybe like uh mid-20s yeah just let's like suspects and well the yeah, so even if they were, the let's just say 30. witnesses did say didn't really look like that person. Yeah, they just said a young man. Yeah. And so a lot of a lot of the police then started going after the college-age kids. But, like, even if they were, that person was 30 in 1968, that would be about, what, young 80s right now? 60 years, add 60 years, so maybe young 90s? Yeah, around there. So, like, it's possible they're still kicking it. But Dude, that is wild. Know? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll out myself. I'm gonna turn 33. I can't imagine trying to plan a heist. I don't got the energy for that. I don't. I really <laughs> don't. This is a crime is a young man's game. It really is. Um, and then if I was younger, I'd be like, oh, good thing I didn't try. I'm way smarter than I am back then. Yeah. I, another thing that comes to mind before we jump into these theories is the fact that no one came forward. Of course, if you did a crime and you got away with it, I would not expect anyone 
if they're if they're of the mind that can commit a crime, they're not of the mind that's going to be like, I did it. Yeah. Not usually anyway. But also remember, Boy S, who we're about to talk about here in the theories, like, you know, if they ended their own life there, they couldn't come forward. I'm not saying it was them, you that's know, there's the blood type situation and everything. That is very true. That being said, whether it be big or small, don't commit a crime. Please don't. Just don't. Whether you hurt anyone or not, just don't. I mean, here's the thing. Hurt takes so many different definitions. Yep. And that's where I'll leave that conversation. But let's talk about the theories now, because there's not a lot to go off of, despite there being 110,000 suspects. The first person that we're going to talk about is obviously Boy S. Not much extra to discuss um, outside of the information that I already kind of grabbed and brought up into the main portion of the episode. But um, the timing of the suicide could back up the theory that, yeah, maybe Boy S was, in fact, a part of this, right? Meant that guilt overrode the person. Again, we could psychoanalyze this case, this yeah, this angle in both ways. directions, but just with the idea that this, with the theory that this was the person, you know, it the timing is a little bit suspect, right? And the fact that a lot of sources say that the father was the one that bought them make people believe that the father perhaps influenced the son to carry out this deed, or even, in fact, carry out the robbery, and then later the, the self-harm deed because of the fact that cops were now sniffing around their house. Yeah. Like, hey, you brought them back to our home. How dare you, right? Right. Again, very unhealthy, but that's the way the theory kind of opens up. Now, the father, it's worth mentioning, was never investigated uh, as a suspect, despite the possible association with their son's involvement, right? Weird. Yeah, I, just... I think it was the blood type thing that completely obfuscated that family but the thing is like if i wanted to mail a letter i could be like fredo could you lick this stamp That's, for me i, I got like say that. i got dry tongue you know what i mean who's like, to say you just don't have someone lick it shut for you in the first place yeah or because that happened in, i don't remember what case but that was brought up in another case we've discussed right where some like it was theorized that the letter was closed by somebody else oh yes yeah, yeah that oh, was a God, different which case one was that yeah no i remember that i don't remember because there's so many there's that so use many that. that's such a little like was it Tylenol in Chicago? Was Maybe? it? Man, I don't, I don't remember. Oh, there this was gonna, one. This is going to bug me. We'll get the answer eventually. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's the uh, small extension on the Boy S theory. Now, another theory that is relatively popular is that a fellow gang member of Boy S committed the crime as he became very wealthy in the years following this incident. So again, remember, Boy S was part of a gang that would uh, often steal yep. cars and joyride them. Now, this unnamed gang affiliate or member that was along with Boy S had been purchasing designer clothes and accessories along with a luxury car, but the source of the money was never known. And that seems to be another commonality with this, with this investigation. Looking for people that have inordinate sums of money right. without any real a origin. surge of money for yeah. no reason. Now, this is where I get personally frustrated, but I get it. You got to do what you got to do. The man's handwriting and blood did not match that of the letter. So the handwriting didn't match the handwriting, the blood type didn't match the blood type. And again, you can fake your handwriting and you can have somebody else lick it. But again, 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 these are the only pieces of physical evidence that we can really go off of. Yeah. Now expanding on this theory though, some people believe that maybe it was a group of individuals, wasn't one person that did this, but instead a team. So yes, one person might've stole the car, but another person might have scattered everyday objects. Another person might have done the letter. So instead of one person, a lot of people tend to believe that maybe, maybe 
four or five individuals associated with this very gang might have committed this crime. And then, you know, at the other side would probably split the money or what have you. But that takes us to the final theory, and this is a little bit more specific, which is interesting. In 1998, so 30 years now after this crime, a 55-year-old man named Yuji Ogata told Shukan Hoseki magazine how he and a few others had smuggled the stolen cash. So essentially, Ogata claimed that he and a cohort of other individuals were able to sneak the money past the police roadblocks using a light truck transporting glass panes before fleeing to opposite ends of the country. Now, this confession is very questionable because a lot of people question if Ogata is even a credible source of information. His wife came forward and went on record to state that her husband was a pathological liar and many other news sources pointed out the lack of evidence in Ogata's involvement. Mm. So it seems like it's a perfect confession, like... Hey, all right, you came forward and you had all this information on how it went down. Right. But, but did, br- did he bring anything new, right? Like, you kind of, I feel like you kind of need that, like, one piece where it's just like, it wasn't public information. We kind of talked about this before. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's like, oh, that's not public information. How did they know about right. that? Right. Or Instead, they just gave the or, yeah, how to it, what was publicly Exactly. Mm. Or just like, a, here's this piece of information, and oh, then the police go, this now links a couple things together. But otherwise, look, I'm tainted, man. We've done yeah. murder mysteries where people are just like, yeah, I killed that person, and they clearly didn't. Right, reason, right. Just to... I don't know. Get attention or something. Yeah, clout. <laughs> well, here's the thing, and I and I think that, you know, we have a lot of will we believe them, will we not believe them kind of in this line of discussion, but I think this piece kind of helps put this particular theory to rest because friends and family of Ogata also claimed that he had asked many of them for money in the months following the incident. So why would a newly found millionaire, or at least somebody who split a hefty sum of money, why would they be asking for money from friends and family if they were newly flush with cash? Unless they were trying to blur the lines. I was like, about to say. I got all this money. Hey, can I have money? Can I have money? That's the only thing that came to mind for me. Yeah. Because then they could be like, oh, I got all this money from borrowing it from friends. Oh, man, Maybe that's a good point. You'd still kind of be able to like trace that, wouldn't you? Maybe. Like if I went to the bank and pulled out a $100 bill and then gave it to you, I'm sure like they're not following serial numbers. Like, they're just like, here's a bill. Take it. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, I I would need something that's not public information on this case in order for me to go, okay, this I could take this person seriously. There's Mm -hmm. way too many people out there that I've learned doing this damn podcast that just come (laughs) forward and want to take credit for stuff that they didn't do. No, I I did it. I did this one. I did it. I robbed this person. Sit down. Or like, I, I, you know. Or something worse, right? I've done something worse. And it's like, Why? Are you? Yeah. What? It's, so, yeah. I can't. Very I'm tainted. Strange. I'm tainted. But uh, another, another kind of wrinkle in this particular story is that a lot of people interpreted this as simply using the hype of this crime to just try to sell magazine subscriptions. True. Like, this person came forward through a magazine rather than going straight to the police or rather than, I don't know, some other method. Yeah. So, like, there's a few wrinkles with this theory. And you it already worth- said that this isn't quite the most trusted source. Right by the friends and family members closest to them. But, again, I don't want to keep playing devil's advocate, but you know what? That's what we do here is, like, maybe he comes forward. Maybe he's honest. And the wife's like, holy crap, you are now saying that our family is 
fueled by crime, right? Like yeah. that's where our money came from. And I got to live with that now. So you know what? I'm just going to say that you're a liar. True. You know? That mean that could be uh, a, that man. Why is it got to get so hairy so fast? Man. Dude, I thought it was so cut and dry. And then and we come through. And now like the and, police, we're spiraling. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, that is the third most popular kind of theory. Otherwise, there are countless loose oh, ends. Oh, I bet. I mean, interviewing 100,000 oh people. How yeah. many police were involved? Like 170. 170, 000. right? I mean, I'm sure that this just scratches the surface of different little stories that just peter out almost mm -hmm. immediately by have that little nugget of like, ooh, oh, that's it. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, it is worth mentioning, and I did say this earlier, but I'll say it again. The employees did receive their year-end bonuses. Toshiba's losses were all covered by insurance, and ultimately the crime had no victims in a traditional sense. Yeah. But with the lack of violence in the case uh, comes a seemingly never-ending string of unanswered questions, right? And with the lack of straight-up evidence, it only seems to add more questions to the case. Too many vectors, too many threads to pull. And, uh, and there you have it. There we rest the 300 million yen heist, the biggest unsolved case in Japanese history. Damn. Uh, for lack of better words, this was a cool one. This was, this was neat. It was so... If you were just to be like, this is the heist, I mean, you could literally tell someone this whole mystery in like 15 seconds. But there's actually so much more to it. Right. And now I see why it's an episode. Right. I mean, it's it's deceptively simple. It took me like 10 minutes to read through, and I'm yeah. like, okay, okay. But it raises so many questions, so many avenues with which to, to search deeper, so many hopes that you have that other evidence is found and investigated deeply. Like, in my mind, I go, well, if there was a flare found, were there fingerprints found on that flare? Yeah. Well, I guess not, right? Yeah. In my head, I just kept thinking, like, narrator style. This truck's on its way to Toshiba City. <laughs> dirty city with dirty money. And I'm going to take it all. Like, oh, this man. This city is mine. <laughs> yes. Like, this is mine for the Dad, team. what are you doing up there? <laughs> Go back inside, son. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What, a, what an insane... The, the literally, like, pretended to be a police... And said there was dynamite underneath, and then popped some flares, and then took the car. Yeah, he's uh, he's under there going, "That's too late for me. Yeah, run for your life!" <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my god, there's oh. fire! Wow, he saved us. And then oh, he goes, and then he gets oh. out and goes, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much." Good thing they left the seat just the way I like it, leaning all the way forward. I mean, just even being able to drive away. Oh my God, 700 feet from that final destination. Yeah. It makes me wonder if that initial threatening letter, half-assed as it was, was only to get the police to scatter around that area so they could then follow them to say, oh, this, this is where that money's going. Now I know to, to kind of hide around here and wait for the truck to come by. Also a little nuts that that much money is being transported by itself. Right. And it said in the research, Christian, that it was the employees or like the, the company's car, but it wasn't like an armored vehicle, right? Where no, it was I don't essentially so. locked in. Yeah, I think it was just, yeah, like a company car trying to go for nondescript so that it looked less less like a target. Uh, well, they became, they became the target, yeah. didn't they? Oh, Man, Morgan. okay. All right. Well, Ooh. that is the case of the 300 million yen heist. Fredo, simply enough, 
I'll see you next week for another mystery. This might be one of my favorites. See you guys later. Thank you.